and welcome to a very special episode of Katie Piper's Extraordinary People, a birthday edition. Nope, it's not my birthday, although it was on Monday. It's this podcast's birthday. It's actually crazy to think that this month marks two years since the podcast began. And in that time, we've heard over 50 individuals. All of those people have overcome something extraordinary. Some are still on their journey, whether it's been a story of addiction, abuse, of mental health struggle, or of someone going above and beyond to help others. Every single story has certainly left me feeling inspired and hopefully it's done the same for you as well. With it being two years, though, since we started telling these incredible stories, it felt right to take a look back. Um, And I think in current circumstances, you know, it's a really tough time for all of us and we could all do with a little bit of inspiration. So I've picked out some moments from those last two years, the moments that left me feeling uplifted and motivated. And if that sounds like something that you could do with right now, stay right here. In this episode, we'll be hearing from retired athlete Dame Jessica Ennis-Hill, Manchester bombing survivor Freya Lewis, Busted's Matt Willis, and TV chef Nadia Hussein, MBE. I was wondering, actually, back in the days of school days and, you know, before you were the Jessica Ennis that we knew, who was it that kind of inspired you onto this path? Because you're an inspiration for not just women, a lot of men as well. Were there kind of key people that inspired you to become the person we know? Yeah, I think more than anyone, it was my parents, to be honest. They, you know, they introduced me to athletics and Mm. they were the ones who took me to training camps and drove me around the country to different competitions. My grandparents were a massive part in, you know, helping fund my athletics and, and, you know, get me to training after school and all those little things that, you know, we'll end up doing in a few years time Mm -hmm. with our kids, which is so important. Um, And then I I met my coach, Tony Minicello, and he mm-hmm. kind of took things from there, you know, nurturing me as a as a young athlete, teaching me the event. Yeah. Um, and were yeah. your parents sporty themselves? Then did they have that background? Not really. No, they both did school sport, and okay. my dad was a bit of a sprinter. I think my mum did high jump a bit, um, but nothing. There's there's no one in the family that have been you know, really sporty. So they must be very proud for your achievements then. Yeah, I think they still. I know if we talk about it, they're still just kind of a bit shocked like I am you know they just had you know two daughters they sent us off to um like a summer camp at the athletics club in Sheffield and my mum just remembers a coach coming up saying oh she you know Jess is a really good runner you should sign her up to the club and my mum just thought yeah you know she enjoys it you know I never thought that anything would really come of it and then years went by and I started picking up medals at school level Yorkshire championships Mm. north of England and then it all progressed to Europeans world Olympic titles and it wow just incredible really so my mum would always say you know keep just keep doing your athletics if you're enjoying it keep doing it but don't you know don't forget about your school stuff and yeah, I just I just wanted to go to university. I wanted to have something else in my locker. I wanted to have a bit of a backup plan because mm. sport can be so fragile mm-hmm. and you can be an amazing athlete at the top of your game and it could all change in an instant. Mm-hmm. So I think I always had that feeling of 
it could all end really quickly. Mm. So do you think it helped you when you had that injury, having studied psychology? Because I guess a lot of that is in, not necessarily in the mind, but the psychology of how you deal with it. And yeah. how you reframe it um, and how you look at failures and success. Yeah, definitely. I think I've always been really fascinated with psychology and human behaviour and how we view things and how we act. It's always something that's really fascinated me and that's why I wanted to study psychology. Um, so although it wasn't a specific sports psychology degree, it was a general psychology degree, I still feel that I learned certain things mm. within my degree that I could apply to being an athlete. And I think... Yeah, it gave me, definitely gave me a lot of mental toughness. And I think that's been one thing that I've been able to have throughout my career that's allowed me to to go on to achieve what I did, just having that that mental strength. Mm. And I wonder, I mean, a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are people that are coming to it for support on mental health, advice on confidence, anxiety. And I was thinking about how I could talk to you about that. And then I thought, well, back to that summer of 2012, all our eyes were on you. Yeah. You know, it was like not just this country, the world, you know, and you'd have to be very robust and confident. And, you know, how, how do you get to be that person and how do you cope with that amount of pressure? Yeah, I think it's so easy for me now to sit here and be like, yeah, I loved every minute of it. It was great. Mm. It was, you know, the best time of my life. But if I actually take myself back to that time, it was it was hard because yeah. I I didn't I was have nervous a lot of for you. <laughs> yeah, it was it was so much pressure, and I think I put so much pressure on myself because mm. I was like, this is like a once in a lifetime opportunity. I'm never going to have this again. I I don't want it to go wrong. Yeah. Um, but equally, everybody else expected me to win, and if I'd come away with a silver medal, that would have been an absolute failure. Yeah, which is crazy to say, medal. isn't it? Yeah. 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 So it was it was yeah, really really strange time, but I think having having that consistency of great people around me, my family, my team, all those consistent people that have been around me for the years leading into the London Olympics, they helped me so much and they mm. gave me perspective and my coach would say to me, it's just another heptathlon. You know, you're competing yeah. against the same girls. You've done all the training. So when I stepped out onto the track, I did have confidence because I just told myself, I've done this so many I times. Yeah. I've done training that is much harder than what I'm going to have to do now. I am ready for it. And mm. Just, yeah, just do it. So do you think you approach things in your life with a kind of failure's not an option approach? I don't, I don't think about it. I just don't let my mind even wander into that. And I know mm. that can be so hard. And, you know, it's very easy to try and think positive and then you start drifting off to the negatives that could happen. But mm. I literally did not even let myself think all those people are watching. Right. What if I so fall over come in your what, No, yeah. I, I, because I think if you start thinking all those negative thoughts, they can become a reality. Yeah, yeah. So you really believe in that. So, kind of absolutely. I think yeah. that if I had lined up for the hurdles and in the back of my mind I was thinking, oh, if I, what if I fall over the first hurdle? I probably would have fallen over the first yeah. hurdle because it's in there. Mm -hmm. I've planted that seed. Whereas I stepped up on that line and I was like, I'm going to blast out of these blocks harder yeah. than I've ever blasted out of them. I'm going to attack every hurdle, and that's all I thought about. It was. So, do you believe in that visualization? Then? Yeah, massively. Yeah. I think it's. I think you can take it into every part of your life. Mm. I think that if you visualize, you know, a perfect outcome, 
and you keep thinking about it and telling your mind that, then I think it really helps in making it physical. It's interesting because I, I was 24, so I, you know, I wasn't adult compared to you being 14. But I still look back now and think I haven't really led a normal life for somebody of that age. And yeah. I look at other people of my age and what they were doing with, you know, whilst they were, I don't know, getting engaged, getting mortgages, I was learning to walk, to swallow, mm -hmm. having physio. Do you ever think about your life that you've had to grow up so quickly and it and you're different to other 17-year-olds? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's so weird to think of life before the 22nd of May because it almost feels like that was a completely different person because it feels like such a long time ago and, I feel, and like I'm now used to what has happened and what I look like and everything now. Um, Who were you before if you had to describe yourself? I was crazy, <laughs> really <laughs> immature 14-year-old um, that um, was just happy all the time um mm. and I was actually going through it's kind of contradicting what I just said um but I was going through some really bad friendship issues when right, I was okay. 14 um and I was literally I became separated from all my friends mm -hmm. and I was by myself every day at school so it was it was just awful but especially now after the 22nd of May you know as soon as it happened we all kind of came together that's positive. And, yeah. And just I've now kind of realised that, you know, like petty fights that like 14 year old girls have in high school do not mean anything. And mm. they're just, yeah. Um, but it, I do feel like a different person now. And I think probably the way I present myself at college and things, people just think I am a normal 17 year old. Mm -hmm. But it's so Until much they talk different. to you because you're yeah. so mature. Is it something you tell people or do you keep it confidential? It it depends on... So everyone, obviously, at my high school knew. As soon as I went back, everyone knew who mm -hmm. I was. I was that girl. But um, I went to a new college in September. So that was... I was really scared to go in. But as soon as I went in, it was only my friends that knew, which felt... It felt really nice to have a fresh start and to just be known as a, as a normal person person again which was what yeah. I was known as before the 22nd of May but there have definitely been times because I've you know like made new friends and stuff which I have to tell but I feel like there has definitely been a point that it has to get to before I tell people because yeah. I don't want to like sit down in a classroom and then um they're like hi I'm so and so and I'm like hi I'm a terrorist attack victim because that yeah. usually would scare people off um yeah the main thing for me, it makes me happy when people don't act weird around me and get awkward. Mm -hmm. I hate that. If people just go, oh, that's that's awful, but you're a normal person at the end of the day, then that's what I like, which yeah. is still, especially on like different days, whether it's like the anniversary or something like that, people are still conscious of me and get a bit scared to say things. Um, I, I like telling people because that's that's my life. That's me. Mm -hmm. um, and it always will be a part of me. So I think wherever I go in life, I'll still be like, hi, I'm Freya and this is my story. Just because I like being strong and saying that. So I hope that's what I do for the rest of my life. Do you feel like it's brought out different characteristics in your personality? Definitely. I'm I, I was just, not that I'm incredibly confident now, but I was really shy before the 22nd of May. 
Um, but now that's just, that's not me. And even though this horrendous thing has happened to me, I'm always, I'm less nervous and less anxious and scared of things. Like even going to London and we're on the tube, sometimes that has been, it does scare me a little bit. But I think it was a couple of years ago. My dad, uh, we got out of the tube and I was with my family um, and my, my dad said, oh, you coped really well because that was the first time I went into that sort of crowd and public space. And then That's I was like, tough. oh, I'm fine. So I, I think I said to him, oh, well, I've taken one for the team and I've already been in this horrific event. So the chances mm-hmm. of me being in another one is quite little. So my dad was just a bit shocked and was like, oh, okay. Yeah. But to have that perspective and that view at any age after what you've been through is quite incredible it's quite remarkable you know where does that come from how do you get to that place I don't know I think it just like I said I think it will always come back to my family they've always encouraged me to be like that like I said my dad's got an awful dark sense of humor that I used to hate before the 22nd of May but straight on we all adopted it and we all make jokes every single day about it so Mm -hmm. they always encouraged me to not look at it as this negative thing and Mm -hmm. you know to look at it as something that I can tell people and hopefully inspire people and that's just the way I view it I I don't know and people like even that Ariana Grande the way that she's just got on with things and gone Mm -hmm. on and done more world tours and things like that that's shown me that I shouldn't be afraid and I shouldn't live in fear and I should just continue being as happy as I was before the 22nd of May Also from something else. How did we get here? With Claudia Winkleman and Professor Tanya Byron. In these in-depth one-on-one therapy sessions, we dig deep into personal stories with fascinating and emotional revelations. A passionate, insightful and moving experience with clear outcomes to each episode. He is as anxious about attachment with you as you are with him. Oh, wow. That's crazy, isn't it? Oh, that's a weird feeling. Wait, so... Oh, God. Don't you just feel like, whoa, why didn't I know that all along? Listen now in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all good podcast apps. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girly? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed with mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. You've been famous your whole adult life. You don't know not being famous as an adult. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if I'd really call myself famous anymore. Like it's kind of a, it's a very, it's a very, I don't know, that's a weird, a weird term, isn't it? It's like, um, it's like when I, uh, like when Busted was, um, was even at its peak, I'd say, um, I was only famous to a certain category of person. Like, unless you're a Busted fan, like, like right. friends of my mum wouldn't know who I was, you know, but if you were a mm. um, a teenager, you know, you'd know who I was, you know. So I just knew not to go to shopping malls on a Saturday or don't ever go to a mm. bowling alley. 
you know, a certain places yeah. <laughs> that you just can't really go to, you know, but, um, but most of the time I could kind of get away with kind of, you know, and, and things like concerts and things were a struggle and certain other things like that. But apart from that, I could kind of hang out with my mates and kind of live a sort of normalish life at times, you know, only really, only mm. really, um, did I really notice what kind of, um, crazy fame was, I suppose, when, I did the jungle because then like suddenly going from a targeted audience, you know, don't get me wrong when busted mm-hmm. were on tour, you know, like everywhere we went was pretty chaotic, but then coming out of the yeah. jungle, like you, you kind of get into a cab and everyone is like, hello, Matt. You're like, Oh God. Yeah. Or you go into the post office and the yeah. guy behind the counter knows who you are and knows something about you, which was a very strange, um, strange change of pace. Was it hard? Because like you said, although you did have that fame, you still had some anonymity, I can never say the word, anonymity, is that how you say it? Oh my God, anonymity. That's yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so you did You did have that. And like you said, going in the jungle, it's all backgrounds and ages that watch that. Um, was it a bit intrusive when you came out? Um, yeah, it was a very, it was, um, I don't know, it was, a, that, that I kind of look back at that as a very weird moment in my life because, um, it was kind of a time in my life where I didn't really know what I was doing. You know, like, um, like before then I kind of always kind of like, I'd been in a band since I was before then I was, I was at school and I wanted to be an actor. Then, then, um, then I wrote some songs with my friend and then I was in a band and that was all I did, you know, and that was all I ever wanted to do at that time. And then that ended and I'm a celebrity kind of happened in this kind of period where I was like, I don't really know who I am, what I'm doing. I'm 21. And everything still, so young. still kind of young. Yeah. Yeah. Not really having any kind of mm. like, I'd never really had a life plan or kind of like everything. I, it's kind of a weird thing to say, but everything I'd ever thought about wanting to achieve, I'd achieved, you know, so I kind of felt like I was kind of at this mm. place where like, I don't really know what to do now. Yeah. I wondered, um, going on something like that and sort of being essentially your authentic self and then that working out for you, you know, you won, people got behind you, they liked you. Like this is an industry where you can't always be of your authentic self. Mm. And it's also an industry full of rejections that aren't really based on fact. You know, people reject people for lots of different reasons and it can sometimes affect your self-worth. And I just wondered what the experience was like of opening up, being authentic and people being like, yeah, I like that and you're going to win. You know, was it quite reassuring? When I think back on it now, I think uh, I think about it in that way. At the time, mm. it just felt like this crazy whirlwind of stuff that was happening, and I wasn't really in a very good headspace. You know, like I was kind of in um in quite a self destructive point in my life, and um it kind of um it kind of it's it's one of those things. It kind of why do you think that was? Um, I think uh, you know I kind of always had a problem with drink and drugs and that kind of world and um and it was really kind of starting to take a grip of me at that moment in my life and um and kind of when I came out of the show it really um I was up and running you know and it was kind mm-hmm. of um and that was a that was a moment where it was kind of getting to a point where it was time to address that demon you know and it was kind of so so to be honest I came out of the show and just lost the plot for about a year you know, so I didn't really, um, well, I, I, why? Because of too much opportunity or, um, no, I think I was just ready to, to do that at that point in my life. You know, it was kind of, it was kind of coming for a while and I kind of, um, and I wasn't really ready to address certain demons at that point and kind of put certain things down. Um, I was just kind of in it and I was very, um, 
you know, and, and I had a very low self-worth, you know, I kind of, um, I kind of felt like, um, I'd always kind of struggled with that. And so I couldn't really. Why, why do you think you had a low self-worth? Um, do you know, I, I have no idea. I've kind of addressed that uh, or looked at that quite a lot in my life, that kind of feeling of kind of low, kind of self-loathing and kind of that kind of stuff, which kind of, kind of fuels alcoholism in me and certain other things. And, um, to be honest, I, I kind of had to kind of, um, at certain moments in recovery, just go, do you know what? You might have to just understand that you're not going to really know the answers. You know, you just have to mm-hmm. understand that that is, that is, um, that this demon is part of you and this person is within you and you just have to kind of manage that in a certain way. You know, mm. and so I have to do, I have to implement certain things in my life and kind of do things a certain way to be able to, to be able to navigate that. Because mm. society's always sort of obsessed with the exterior and, you know, wrongly not sympathetic with people that they believe on the exterior has everything. So whether it's being good looking, whether it's being wealthy, whether it's, you know, having a career, other people envy and people can't understand why internally your thoughts wouldn't reflect the, the level of joy that it's it seems. But but often it's people in that position that are more tortured. Um, did you attach a guilt to it, to, to not feeling good? Because, you know, yeah. you had these ambitions from a young age to be this person. Yeah, you're so, you're so right. Like, I think it... Um... I think it comes with a lot of imposter syndrome as well. Like it kind of comes from that place of kind of like at any moment you're going to get found out and everyone's going to know that you're not really meant to be what you are. And, you know, like, mm-hmm. who are you kidding? You don't deserve this and all this kind of stuff, which kind of, yeah. um, yes, yeah, so it's, it's, um, it's funny. I've talked to a lot of people, especially actors who, um, who have this too, you know, right. like, um, these people who are like, I'm like, what are you talking about? You're this guy who's amazing, you mm-hmm. know, but they mm-hmm. still have this in them. And it's kind of, um, mm-hmm. and so it's, um, you know, it kind of, it kind of goes, goes everywhere. I think. Mm. Do you believe in, you know, when people refer to having an addictive personality, do you think that's a thing? Um, I don't know. I know I have it, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, yes, it is a thing because, um, well, I don't, I don't, I, is it a thing? I don't know. I'm an addict. I know I am. I tick every box. If there's, um, mm-hmm. if there's something you can take too far, I have either already taken it too far or I'm in the process of doing so, you know, so mm-hmm. kind of like if there's, um, yeah. you know, I, um, I, I find that I kind of put one down and pick one up, you know, and, um, mm-hmm. and that's something which I'm, I'm really trying to be better at and kind of noticing these kind of warning signs because, you know, it's and to be honest, it's not even about like I don't drink or take drugs anymore. You know, but like so um, you, you can't socially drink that, that your teetotal. Oh no, I've been um, I haven't had a drink for over ten years. But like on on, but that doesn't mean that I haven't had this impact my life in other ways. Mm. You know, like it can um it can come into play with anything I do, and it's just mm-hmm. for me now. It's more about behaviour. It's more about mm-hmm. the way I behave and the way I see myself behaving about certain things. I'm like, that's got to watch mm-hmm. that. Got to be careful of that because before I know yeah. it, that can slip into the way I think about myself, and it can right. be a negative kind of spiral because of an action which was not beneficial Mm -hmm. and so when i look back Mm -hmm. at these things when i look back at who i am you know i'm like would i would i take this away would i would i would my life be better without it you know and um and i don't know i don't know if i'd be 
who I am, you know, like, I mean, I, mm. you know, I worry that, um, you know, I kind of, I, I worry that I'm passing things on subconsciously to my children. I'm like, oh my right. God, you know, because I, you know, I grew up around <laughs> certain things and I saw certain things and I absorbed certain things from people around me. I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm a very different person to the person I was 10 years ago. So I'm hoping that I'm passing on a different message. Before I'd won Bake Off, I was a stay-at-home mum. And so often, as a stay-at-home mum, I'd I'd be really nervous to say the words. I'm, you know, I'd say, I'm just a mum. People would say, what do you do? And I'd say, I'm just a mum. It's and a I full-time hate, career. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, hate, I hate that word, just, because there is nothing just about being a mum. Because mm. it's, you know, you don't get any holiday pay. You get no holidays. You, you know, there's no clocking off time. You are on it. All yeah. the, as you know, you know what it's like. You've got two quite young kids. Yeah, yeah. And you are literally on it all the time. And mm-hmm. I, you know, mine are uh, 12, 12 and 13. My boys are 12 and 13 right. and my little girl will be nine soon. And somebody said to me, the older they get, you know, the less they need you. That's a lie. Good, because I don't want that to happen. No. I'll be sad if that happens. Yeah, they need you even more. <laughs> even now, my 13-year-old, as I as I leave, he, he says, oh, I don't want you to go. And even now at 13, yeah. he kind of holds on. And I, I want him to hold on for as long as possible. But that sounds like a beautiful, close relationship, though. That sounds the dream, really. Yeah. It's, yeah. I suppose it's one... We, I grew up in a, in a community where, you know, uh, emotions and feelings they're not something that you, you didn't talk about it. And I right. say I say it's something in my community, but I think there's something quite British about being... I was going to say, yeah, about, absolutely. You know, the whole keep calm and carry on. Mm-hmm. Um, Stiff and, up a lip. Yeah. And, yeah. and I grew up in, in, in a culture that you couldn't... You, could, you didn't talk about feelings. You didn't talk about emotions. You just got on with it. And I'm... I want to be the complete opposite. I want to talk about everything. I yeah. want to talk about every feeling. Well, I was going to say, I mean, if you if you grew up like that and that was kind of what was sort of the message that was sent down to you, you know, you've done a really brave thing with your documentary recently, your BBC documentary about yeah. anxiety. You know, that was talking about feelings and emotions and, and, and not hiding anything. That was amazing. I've never felt more naked. Mm, I can imagine. Than, yeah. than in that situation. Um, and when I, I was not very good at being honest with my children about mm-hmm. my anxiety and it was the first time that they would see um, they they asked me whenever I'm filming something like, Mama, what are you filming? And when I wouldn't come home at night with cake and biscuits right. and stuff, they're like, mm, she's doing something different. They knew mm-hmm. like three days in, they were like, why why have you got no food back? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just said, I'm not. Fi- this is nothing to do with food. Do you and think they knew what the word anxiety meant before the doc? They knew vaguely what it meant. Um, and 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 we talk about feelings quite a lot. And rather than saying anxiety or um, you know, we, we, we didn't necessarily use the word anxiety yeah. or panic disorder or PTSD, things like that. Mm-hmm. But now, since watching the documentary, they, they, they sort of understand those words better because, you know, I didn't expect to come out of there being diagnosed with PTSD. Right, yeah. Um, and I was shocked myself. So it was something that I had to then explain to the kids. But Did when they watch the doc with you, like sat next to you? Yeah, so yeah. We, we got we had access to it before it was out. And so right. I let them sit down and, and watch it and, mm. and they did. And then when it was when it was aired, they watched it again and, and I remember them there was this there was a sense of pity. Right. And and they, they kind of looked at me and they said, Oh, you know, I could see it in their eyes. You know, I didn't they didn't say the words, but mm-hmm. 
I could see it. You know, the you empathy just, and yeah, you just see it. And I was like, oh my god. Well, they've seen your struggle. Yeah. And, and your mum that holds it together all the time. I try you know. so hard to hold it together. And that's something I learned about myself is that actually there's nothing. I think you're a better parent for being vulnerable, mm. for allowing your kids to see emotions that are totally normal, to be able to say, you know what, I'm not okay today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel sad. And, and you know, we help each other. And I think as a parent, what you want to do is you want to be the one that helps them all mm-hmm. the time. Um, and we don't want to lean on our kids. But as a family unit, we lean on each other. Yeah, I suppose it's your instincts that, that think that's not right. But actually, it's impossible for one person to be the kind of core of everything. Yeah, just holding it together all the time felt really, really hard. Um, and then when you when they watched it, I could see it in their eyes and I didn't want to look at them because they were just, I could see pity. Yeah. And I felt really sorry for them. Um, but was, was it hard to watch the programme back itself? Because you've done so many different TV series, TV shows, some lighthearted, some funny, some mm-hmm. fascinating. And then this was quite different. You know, what was it? It's a bit different than sitting around the telly with snacks and watching a programme you made, you yeah. know? Yeah. I mean, it, it, this wasn't a kind of popcorn type situation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's get the popcorn no um it was more I kind of sat there kind of scratching my hands and with a box of tissues mm. um and it was hard to watch and it was really odd because um I'd come back and talk about it with my husband and I mm-hmm. filmed for about two and a half weeks and I felt like my husband knew everything that I was doing and then he obviously had to sit and watch it mm-hmm. himself and and he hadn't realized I mean there's lots of things everything on there is stuff that he already knew but to actually watch it firsthand yeah um he, he struggled with that a little bit as well. And I think um, he definitely has a better understanding of anxiety now mm-hmm. than he did before watching it. But he's all, I mean, generally he's hes a good guy and he, he tries really hard to, yeah. to get it and hold it together and make sure that I'm okay. But now he gets it. He's like, I get it. And I think when I watch it back, I re- remember the struggle of filming that. But mm-hmm. I also understand the importance of filming it because yeah. I know there'll be loads of people who will sit there and don't understand it or may not have anxiety themselves, but know somebody who has it or... And then it makes sense. Yeah. And then it makes sense. And I think if I hadn't been completely honest, it would have been a half-hearted um, mm. documentary and I didn't want it to be that. Yeah, like it's actually a resource. You know, it's not just you talking about your life. It's a resource for, like you said, other people or people unknowingly supporting people. Yeah. Um, your husband kind of sounds like he's been your biggest cheerleader in your life. I mean, when I, when I was reading about you and your journey before Bake Off, it was your husband that sort of pushed you to enter. Is that right? Yeah, he was... Oh, he's such a gem, he is. And I can't... Like, I... I, I I don't want to be the wife that sits there and like sits there and says, "Oh yeah, my husband did this." And my, he did. He just. He's just great. I'm the worst friend or sister to have around because <laughs> I have nothing bad to say. Yeah. I just don't because but that's good. That's positive. I love yeah. that. And we shouldn't be like we should. You know, we should be proud of a marriage that you know mm-hmm. we should be proud of that and it and it works for us and he's not just he is he's my best friend and you know and in the last four years I've lost many relationships mm-hmm. because of what I do and and you know and and. He's always been there. And and this is long before Bake Off. You know, he's the only one that I could truly explain how I was feeling. And and he never always got it. But, you know, we got to a point where he was just like, I think I get it. And he he understands me. Yeah. Um, Which is, like you said, it's very difficult to find somebody that understands you. And it's what we all search for. It's the ultimate kind of quest. Yeah. Has it been difficult because life's changed so much for people around you to change with you? Yeah, I think there's lots of people who are just never, you know, I've lost lots of people, lots of friendships and mm-hmm. lots of family members, but... Um, Through jealousy or misunderstanding? I think or? I think it's partly misunderstanding, you know, there might be jealousy involved. I don't know, I just think that 
I think the, the thing with women, firstly, is that women sometimes don't always like to see other women succeed. Mm-hmm. And I, I, think, I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. And and I think there's a lot of that. And I think that's why just it, it's really hard sometimes because it, 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 in the last four years, I've changed so much mm. and I've found myself in a way that I didn't think I, like there's so much of me was lost in the right. first sort of eight years, eight, nine years, because being a mother, being a stay at home mom and focusing just on one thing mm-hmm. meant that I didn't focus on myself anymore. And I felt selfish for it. And I felt, so I felt, um, I felt cruel for wanting to focus on myself. I yeah. f- it felt unkind. I thought I've brought these children into the world. They should be my everything, but they can truly only be my everything if I love myself first. And if you have yourself, In, yeah. I mean, and, if you don't have any identity, then who are you? And I'd lost myself. Mm. I, I just, I was gone. There was nothing there. And, and I loved my kids. I love my children. And I was just existing Mm-hmm. And it didn't feel okay to just exist because I was so crippled with my anxiety that it was my husband who said, you need to enter Bake Off. And I was like, what? And were you cooking at this point at home? I'm I'm like, when I'm stressed, I yeah. cook more. I see I- this on your Instagram. Yeah. I'm like, wow, look at all this stuff she's cooking. This I is amazing. Know, but- I just keep going. Yeah. And um, when I'm really stressed, I bake and I bake and I bake. Mm-hmm. And I have like... F- two or three cake stands around the house. And my husband's like, you know, you don't have to put cake in them. I'm like, then what are cake stands for? Yeah. Um, and I will just fill them and then I'll go to the neighbours and the neighbours know when I'm anxious because mm-hmm. I'll turn up with, like, yesterday I was at my neighbour's house. I had lemon drizzle and a vegetable pie mm-hmm. and I just went over. He's like, are you all right? And I was like, I've just been baking, leave me alone. But maybe this is positive because the baking's a form of therapy and then it's making you leave the house and connect with people to give them the food. And actually when you talk about getting better, it's all about connecting with others, isn't it? So I guess that kind of pushes you to leave the house that day. Yeah, I just uh, doing Bake Off was the hardest thing I'd ever done. And mm-hmm. it's the first time I'd done, I had lots of firsts. So right. it's the first time I'd been on a train on my own without my children. That's it's the, hard. Yeah, and, and you know, and it wasn't it wasn't a simple journey. It was like five changes. Mm-hmm. So it was stressful, stressful and sweaty, and it was hideous. I mm. I, I vomited. Yeah, I, right. it was horrible. Um, and um, yeah, and I realized, you know, I, I was using lots of safety seeking behaviors. I was like looking down, not making eye contact on your phone. Or, yeah, yeah, just just avoiding any human contact, any interaction, and and and. and it was the best thing I did. It was the hardest thing, mm. one of the hardest things I'd ever done, but it's changed my life. Thank you for listening to this special episode of Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. The guests you heard from there were Dame Jessica Ennis-Hill, Freya Lewis, Matt Willis and Nadia Hussain. And you can hear the full episodes along with loads more on all podcast platforms. <laughs>